Let's turn in God's word this morning to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel 6. Records the history of the Israelites when they were in captivity in Babylon. We read a portion of this history. Daniel 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom an hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no occasion nor fault, for as much as he was faithful Neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion except this against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish in a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, That Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. 
Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is that no no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king's command, then was the king exceeding glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces, or ever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you, I make a decree, that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God bless the reading of the Holy Scriptures unto our hearts. So on the basis of what we have read in Daniel 6 and many other passages of the Scriptures besides that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. (coughs) 
Lord's Day 1, what is thy only comfort in life and in death? That I, that I with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who, with his precious blood, hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. How many things are necessary for thee to know that thou, enjoying this comfort, mayest live and die happily? Three, the first, how great my sins and miseries are. The second, how I may be delivered from my sins and miseries. The third, how I shall express my gratitude to God for such deliverance. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, this opening Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, which is familiar to us, which is beloved unto us because of the comfort that it gives to the suffering child of God, does contain within it a difficulty difficulty which, with which every child of God struggles at one point or another. And the difficulty that we find at the outset in the Heidelberg Catechism is the inclusion of the word only. What is thy only comfort in life and in death? We all want comfort. We all, as God's children, want comfort in Jesus Christ, who alone is able to save us and deliver us from our sins. But the reality is, there are many times in the life of the child of God, where if he is being honest, he wishes that he could have Jesus Christ plus something else as his comfort in life and in death. When there is illness, disease, cancer, then would not one want it that his comfort be, yes, that I belong unto Jesus Christ, and in addition to that, my comfort would also be that this disease be removed from my life. When there is a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in the home, then yes, one's prayer is, Father, grant unto me the comfort of knowing that I belong unto Jesus Christ. But in addition, 
My comfort also would be that this prodigal child be restored to communion with Jesus Christ. When there is a crisis in one's life, when there is loss of a job, when there is disappointment, when there is heartache, then the temptation is that we start to come with a list of conditions that we give unto God and we tell God, God, we will be comforted once this list of conditions has been fulfilled. But until these desires of my heart have been satisfied, then I will not be comforted. In distinction to that stands the clear, decisive instruction of the catechism. The Catechism makes no allowance for adding a list of things that must first be met before the individual is comforted. But it adds with wisdom only. What is thy only comfort in life and in death that I belong? Let's consider this Lord's Day this morning under the theme, My Only Comfort. First, I belong. Second, I am preserved. Looking at the middle of answer one, so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. And then third, I am assured. Looking at the final part of answer one, Therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life. In the opening words of the Heidelberg Catechism, the Christian confesses from the heart and through the lips, I belong. I belong unto Jesus. This is a confession of faith that the child of God makes. There is nothing physical that one can point to that indicates, I belong. One can tell whether or not they belong to a physical family because there's a physical resemblance among the siblings of that family. There's a similarity between the children of that family and the parent of that family. There's a likeness. And so one can tell whether they belong. If one truly wonders whether they are part of a family, there are tests that can be done to confirm that one belongs to that family. But how do you know that you belong in body and in soul unto Jesus Christ? A Christian makes this confession not because there is some external evidence of belonging unto Jesus Christ, but the Christian makes this confession, I belong unto Jesus because God has given unto that child faith. It's according to the element of faith, which is the gift of God through the operations of the Holy Spirit, that the individual confesses, I belong. I belong unto God, even when the circumstances of this life are not what I wish that they would be. Even when there is trial after trial, heartache after 
heartache, yet I belong. Even though I may not feel that I belong anywhere else, even though I may feel rejected, lonely, yet I belong. Though I may not have a large group of friends who gather around me and who support me and who give me encouragement day by day, though I may be considered an outsider at the workplace, though even my own blood family may have ostracized me, though it may be the case even that members of the church of God have alienated themselves from me, yet the Christian confesses, I belong. This is hardly a popular confession in today's day and age. The emphasis in our culture is on the individual. Who are you as an individual and how can you give expression unto the unique personality that you have? The emphasis is put on individual rights, individual freedoms, individual opportunities. You can go out and you can do what you want to do. You can succeed because you have abilities. You have power. And yet here we with the church, the Reformed Church, confess, I belong. I'm part of something or someone that is bigger than me. I belong to a person. I belong to a thinking, willing, reasoning person. I belong to one who was born of a woman. I belong to one who was under the law. I belong to one who has human emotions, who stood by the grave of his friend Lazarus and wept. I belong unto one who understands what it is to be tempted in all points such as I have been tempted. I belong. And yet I belong not merely unto one who is a human being, but I belong unto one who is also God. I belong to one who is with God in the beginning, who is the eternal Word of God. I belong to one who rules over the wind and the seas, the one who stopped the mouths of the lions when Daniel was cast into the lion's den. I belong unto the one who sits enthroned at the right hand of the majesty on high and to whom all power and dominion has been given in heaven above and in earth beneath, I belong unto Jesus. I belong unto one who so loved me that he laid down his life for me at Calvary. I belong unto one who made full satisfaction for every one of my sins at that accursed tree. I belong unto one who gave himself up 
for the offenses of God's people. I belong. How do I belong? How does it how is it the case that every one of God's children belongs? It's not to understand by virtue of our decision. It's not because we recognized our lack and our need. It's not because we saw that there was a void in our lives and then we went searching and looking for something bigger than ourselves that we could fit into, where we could find a place, where we could have a name and a position. And then we looked out and we saw that, aha, the body of Jesus Christ looks like a good place for me to belong. So I am going to go out and join this body of Jesus Christ so that I can say I belong unto that body. But the reality is that by nature we are sinners and the scriptures declare that God has no pleasure in wickedness, neither shall the evil dwell with God. Sin creates a chasm between God and between the sinner. There is a chasm greater than the Grand Canyon and there is no way that the child can reach out across that canyon and grab a hold of Jesus Christ and cling to Jesus Christ by himself. Not only is it the case that the sinner by nature is unable to reach across that chasm and grab a hold of Jesus Christ, but the sinner by nature wants absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. The sinner maintains, I am content in my position. I would rather belong unto myself. I would rather rule over myself, be independent, be self-governing, rather than confessing that I belong and am the possession of someone else. How is it that we belong? Ultimately, and in the deepest sense, we belong because of God's eternal and unchangeable decree of election. I belong because God chose me. I belong because God, as he considered the entirety of the human race and saw every single person that would have existence upon this earth, God in his grace and in his love chose me. And he took his pen and with the blood of his son wrote my name down in the Lamb's book of life. I belong because God is the God of love. This, beloved, is your comfort and my comfort. My comfort in life and in death is that I belong. Comfort, you understand, is different than being comfortable. We all want to be comfortable. We all want difficulties, hardships, obstacles, 
financial concerns, health concerns, family difficulties removed out of our life. But this, the confession of the catechism is not that I am comfortable because I belong unto Jesus Christ, but I have comfort because I belong unto Jesus Christ. My comfort is not that all is going well for me at this present point in time. My comfort is not that I am surrounded by family and by friends at this particular moment in time. It could be that God in His wisdom has removed many earthly comforts from me. It could be that God has stripped me of many things that would make my lot and my place upon this earth easy. It could be that God has well called me to walk down a road which is very, very lonely. Perhaps God has given unto an individual the calling to walk even as Daniel, who was alone in a distant and foreign land, exiled from the covenant nation of Israel. And there in that foreign nation, he was rejected by the other princes of the land. They despised him exactly because of his godliness. And so the other princes concocted a plan to get rid of this man named Daniel. They went unto the king whom they knew was a proud and evil man. And they said unto the king, King, put together a commandment that no one may lift up a petition no one may lift up a prayer except that prayer be unto thee. And the king, because he was a proud, proud man, put that commandment in place according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And then Daniel was faced with that difficult question. To whom do I belong? Do I belong? To King Darius, who has legislated with the consequence of death that I must offer my prayers unto him, or do I belong to Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God? No one there to help him. No one there to encourage him. All of the other powers of the land turned against him. And yet he turned his face to Jerusalem three times every day because he knew he belonged. How amazing this truth is that we belong as the body and bride of Jesus unto our faithful Lord and Savior. You see, this union that we have with Jesus Christ, this bond with Jesus is different than any other bond upon this earth. We claim ownership of certain possessions. We say that certain things belong unto me. Children learn that at a young age. This is mine. This belongs to me. Hands off. Don't touch it. The child becomes very defensive of that toy that belongs 
unto him. The child is willing to fight off others who will try to take that toy away from that child. That child understands already the idea of ownership and possession. And to that child, having that particular toy is very important to that child. And yet the reality is, if someone were to take that toy away from the child, though the child certainly would be disheartened, upset, and angry, the child would go on. The child would eventually move past the point of sorrow over that particular item being removed from his life, and he would move on. But that does not illustrate for us the relationship that Jesus has with us. It is not the case that Jesus Christ says, this person is mine, and that Jesus Christ becomes defensive, and that Jesus Christ will fight for this person. But if this person is taken away from Jesus Christ, well, perhaps he would be sorrowful for a period of time, but then eventually he would move on, and his life would be complete without this individual in his life. That is not the case. We belong unto Jesus Christ with an unbreakable relationship. We belong unto Jesus Christ in such a way that the Scriptures teach us that we are the very body of Jesus Christ. He is the head, and we are the members of the body. And to take away a person from Jesus Christ would be to take away the very body of Jesus Christ. He would not be complete without every single one of his children belonging unto him. I belong, not only because Jesus Christ through his blood has brought me into a relationship with him, but I belong because Jesus Christ maintains me in relationship to him. I belong. And then the catechism goes on. We confess with the catechism that we are preserved. Jesus Christ so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. How necessary it is that we not only belong unto Jesus Christ and confess that we belong, but also that this one to whom we confess we belong be powerful. Powerful to preserve us in that salvation that he has purchased for us. Imagine that we were the possession of an impotent man. Imagine that you belonged unto one who perhaps had good intentions and good desires to preserve you, to safeguard you, and to rescue you from evil that would attack you, but the impotent man was weak and lacked the ability to defend you from your enemies. Then the ten thousands of enemies rise up against you, and as you face those ten thousands of enemies, fear rises up in your heart because you have no confidence that there is a refuge and a protection for you upon this earth. Imagine that you were Daniel, 
and you faced that lion's den, but you had no confidence that there would be one mightier than you, one who could stop the mouths of the lions. You might be thankful that this individual is benevolent and that this individual desires your well-being, and yet there would be no solace and no comfort in belonging to this weak individual. And thus it is that the Heidelberg Catechism emphasizes for us the power of the one to whom we belong. He preserves us. He preserves every aspect of us, both spiritually and physically. He preserves us physically down to the smallest, most minute details of our lives. He preserves us in such a way that he will not permit a single hair to fall off our heads, except God the Father gives this commandment. He is the one to whom the Father has given all power. He preserves us not only physically, but He preserves us spiritually. He places us in living communion with Him. He grafts us into the living vine, which is Jesus Christ. And He preserves us in that. He does not permit a single one of his children to fall from God's grace and from God's favor. So great is his power over us that even that which we would call evil, he makes subservient to our salvation. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. How far removed is the catechism from teaching dualism? Dualism teaches that there is not one source of power, but there are two sources of power. God has power and the devil has power. God uses his power for things that are good, for things that are upright, for things that would bless the people of God. But then the devil also has power, and the devil uses his power for that which is devious, for that which is hurtful, for that which would destroy or harm the people of God. And then according to the the teacher of dualism, there is throughout all ages then this conflict between the power that God has and the power that the devil has. And at times it seems that the power of God is ahead when there is peace on this earth, when there is prosperity among the nations, when the nations set down their swords and their weapons and they have harmony one with another, then they would say, okay, God now is winning the battle here. But then there are other times where when evil reigns, when there is division in the nation, when there is conflict in the church or even in the homes, that then they would maintain, well, now the devil is getting the upper hand in this battle. 
the, the person who is a dualist might hope, he might hold forth hope that in the end God will win. He might even say, I trust that God will give us the final victory, but throughout all of the ages of this earth, man is held in suspense as there is this battle between the power that is God's and the power that is the devil's. In distinction from that, the Catechism teaches all things must be subservient to my salvation. When Daniel was cast in the lion's den, it's not because God relinquished a measure of his power and there the devil exercised the upper hand. The devil got his way. The evil princes got what they wanted. And against the will of the Father, Daniel was cast into that pit. But rather, God ruled over Daniel, going down. God the Father had a plan. A purpose. He commissioned Daniel to go into the lion's den so that God, through the angel of the Lord, might reach down and shut the lion's mouths. God taught, I am the Savior. I will deliver my people. And I will be glorified. We cannot always make sense of or understand why God does what He does. There are certain trials that make no sense to us as human beings. There are some trials that go on year after year. We seek to understand why these hardships would be in our lives, and yet there is perhaps no clear answer. Faith does not demand of God an explanation, but faith trusts that the God who is so great that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him has a plan, and his plan is the redemption of his people through Jesus Christ and the glory of his almighty name throughout all the nations of the earth. All things are subservient to my salvation. Therefore, the Catechism concludes, we are assured. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. The one who assures according to the catechism is the Holy Spirit. We cannot see the Holy Spirit. He is invisible. And yet we can sense the power of the invisible operations of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Jesus promised his disciples 
while he yet walked upon this earth, that although he must go away from them and must ascend up into heaven, yet he would not leave his disciples alone, but he would give unto them another comforter besides Jesus Christ. And the other comforter was the Holy Spirit. In the Catechism, we testify that Jesus gives us His Holy Spirit. His meaning the Spirit that comes from Jesus Christ. The Spirit who proceeds with a double procession from the Father and from the Son. The Spirit of the crucified, the resurrected, the risen and ascended Jesus Christ. Jesus who made the payment once for all of his children at Pentecost, poured out upon the New Testament church his Holy Spirit, and in giving unto the church his Holy Spirit, gave unto them great power. The power that he gave unto them was especially the power to believe in Jesus Christ, who sits enthroned on high. I am assured the Christian confesses by the power of His Holy Spirit. When? Right now. God does not withhold this assurance from us. God does not set forth a number of conditions in place and say, upon you fulfilling these conditions, then you may enjoy this blessed assurance of knowing that you belong. God does not say, first, you have to become a better Christian. First, you have to be more zealous in good works. First, you have to be more pious in prayer. First, you have to be more fervent in your personal devotions. And then, on the basis of you performing those works, I will grant unto you this blessing of assurance. But instead, God, by His Holy Spirit, gives unto us this assurance in grace. Faith is the gift of God. The gift that he gave unto Daniel as he stood before the mighty king Darius. Faith that he gives unto you in your day-to-day walk upon this earth. Faith which gives unto you confidence so that you with the psalmist can say, I laid me down and slept. I awake. For the Lord sustained me. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we confess that at times we can be very fearful, so much so that if we had the wings of a bird, we would fly far away. And yet thou art good. Thou art gracious, 
Thou dost teach us that we need not fly away, for we find safety under the refuge of thy almighty wings. But thou grant unto us peace, comfort, and hope. But thou forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.